Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I am an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. If you follow me on social media, uh, you kind of know the people that I talk to. I like to encourage those whom the world deems unlovable, who apparently the prison systems deem unredeemable. Uh, Some of these men and women who commit these violent acts are going to get out one day. My goal is to make sure they don't reoffend when they get out. My little tiny part in all of this, uh, show love and compassion to those who most people do not think deserve it. I'm more for positive reinforcement, which you hear me say over and over again, which means rewarding people when they do good. Not just punish, 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 or they act like slaves in the prison systems, or that 70% recidivism rate, which means they're going to reoffend when they get out. Uh, other prison systems that have 20%, like Norway and North Dakota, this positive reinforcement, encouraging style, um, there's a 20% chance that they'll reoffend. Much better. That's kind of what I do. Why I do what I do. Uh, today, I want to answer a few questions for you. People ask me literally every day, not just why I do what I do. It's kind of self-explanatory if you heard the last, you know, couple podcasts. But how I got started. When I got started, uh, I used to be a professional magician, of all things. Kind of like street magic and, you know, go in the bars and restaurants and do walk-arounds and house parties. Um, I decided, since every professional magician I met was so cool, I was like, man, what if I got some of their autographs? So I sent out a deck of playing cards that are blank on one side. So you can write predictions and things like that. So I have mailed out a few to every magician I knew, like David Blaine, uh, Copperfield, um, anyone you could think of, all the names, plus names you might not have heard of that I knew of um, being on the scene. And everybody sent me an autograph back and a kind note, um, except for Penn and Teller. I could never track them down. Uh, so I still owe Penn and Teller. I've got to get one from them. But I literally got, I don't know, 40 or 50 ones. So then I thought, oh, that's cool. Maybe I should get some like UFC fighters and professional wrestlers. And I, I got tons of them back, too. Uh, then I went for professional athletes. I'm here in the South Jersey area, so Philadelphia is our sport team since we're close to the stadium there. Um, especially when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Doug Peterson and uh, tons of people sent me autographs back. Well, as I'm collecting, I got some actors. And for some reason, I wanted to get actors who played mobsters in movies. So I sent him out to a lot of the Goodfellas uh, and Tony Soprano's cast, and I got some autographs back from them. So then I thought, in my twisted little brain of mine, what if I could get a real mobster, a real freaking mobster? <laughs> it's like, man, how do I do that? And these guys are either in hiding or they're too private to come out. So I found um, the Sammy the Bull Gravano. He started, I rumored that he was doing a podcast, so I tracked down who was going to produce this show got a hold of them, and kind of like through the back alleyway, mobster style, I got him to personally sign a book to me. Um, he actually ended up sending me a Christmas card after that, too. So I'm like, that was the coolest thing in the world. I got to get more. Um, I went, I went through Whitey, Whitey Bulger. I'm sure you know who Whitey Bulger is. Um, couldn't get him. But if you've seen the Johnny Depp movie, um, you know Kevin Weeks was his hitter. You know, that was his right-hand man, right-hand man of violence, if you will. Well, again, through a back channel, I found, I forget their name, maybe Catherine something, I forget, but the co-author of his book. I tracked her down because he's semi-in-hiding. He'll do appearances here and there, but it pretty much you know stays hidden. Um, yet my favorite signature of all time is his to Keith. 
One in the head is better than two in the chest. I mean, come on. <laughs> How freaking awesome is that? And two other books he signed. He wrote a book with his wife. Uh, no, I think he wrote another book with, uh, with her. And then his wife wrote a book with his co-author too. Um, so I got, I got a bunch of signatures from him. Uh, Frank Culotta, the Hole in Wall Gang, Larry Mazza, Michael Francis, um, ton of different mobsters that I got. Uh, kind of in the hot and began through authors or uh, podcast producers. Um, yeah, kind of back channel ways. I got um, another great one, but he was in prison. Uh, one of the most violent gangsters. Um, excuse me, when I, I hope you're having a drink. Well, not if you're riding in your car, if it's in the morning, if you're at nighttime. I was going to raise my glass to all you glorious bastards out there and say cheers. Tink! Make a little sip here. I'm doing a little Italian Chianti tonight and a little bourbon. I drank my good bottle. Went through the Blanton's bottle. It's not too bad. It's Maker's Mark. No, it's a, it's a bar-style bourbon, but I have never met a bourbon I didn't like, so a little sip of bourbon, too. Hold on. Cheers. Tink. Oh, yeah. That's good. So, hope you're having a little drink, too. Cheers to all you guys. Um, but one of the most violent mobsters out there, Tommy Karate Patera. This dude just beat people. And so when I found about his background, he was like a legit karate guy. And he's a great artist also, so I hope maybe get some artwork. So I sent him a letter, mostly about martial arts, and he wrote back. It was the first mobster I actually talked to one-on-one. And as violent as a guy he is, he was the kindest, gentlest person, you know, that I've written to. Talked about his background. Like, he actually went to Japan. Like, he went overseas to train. Like, he's a legit black belt. Uh, not just, you know, you go to a store and, you know, yeah, you pay your tuition every three months, you get a belt. He was legit. So I had a bunch of letters with him. Um, he had some issues at the prison, moved him around a little bit. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, so that's kind of how it got started. And I was like, man, what if I can get a Manson member? So I wrote Charlie, of course. Didn't hear from Charlie. I wrote Dahmer, you know, I think Ramirez. Um, but the first real serial killer, per se, that wrote me back was Charles Tex Watson. You know, Charles Manson's right-hand man. And he was a religious guy. He's a Christian guy. So I'm familiar with the background. So we had a lot of cool things to talk about. And I talked to him about once a month. Um, and today, even to late today, I got a letter from another Manson family member, Bruce Davis. My first book, Serial Killers in Heaven and Victims in Hell. Um, they gave me their permission to, to talk about our conversations that we had. So they both have a chapter, Tex Watson and Bruce Davis. Uh, he just sent me a nice little Christmas note. Bruce Davis did. I haven't talked to Tex in a few months, though. Um, but Bruce is, is great, very, very kind soul. Um, but I remember the first serial killer letter I got back, you know, from Tex Watson. I was like, holy crap. You know, they actually write back. Now, not that he's necessarily a serial killer, of course, but, you know, in that genre. Um, and then it just kind of spiraled up from there. Um, once I got him, I started writing everybody once I got Tex. I mean, everybody could possibly name. And, and now it's funny because I get, you know, what I get today. I got Bruce Davis today, Pamela Smart. Um, she, in the 80s, you know, had her husband killed, pretty famous, beautiful woman. Um, Eric Houston, one of the early school shooters, I think Lynnhurst school shooter. I talked to him a couple times a week. Um, and, oh, and Eddie Routh, he, was a, he shot uh, the American sniper, Chris Kyle. Every day I get a stack of letters. Now, usually I get the letters, I put them down, I have dinner, have my coffee, and maybe open up every glass of wine later on, maybe the next day. But there's one person, I should say there's really two people, but one specific person that when I get a letter from, um, everything stops. That is B-T-K. When Dennis Rader sends you a letter for some reason, I mean, there's a lot of people who collect in the true crime genre. 
and maybe you have your own little special person. But when I get a letter from Dennis Rader, that needs to be opened right now. <laughs> you know, now he doesn't write. I mean, he doesn't really write anybody but very close family and friends anymore. The last letter I got um, last year, early last year, I guess, uh, saying his colitis was so bad, health issues, heart issues, he needs to be wheelchaired around, extremely poor health. Like he ain't got much longer to live, to be honest with you. Um, doesn't have the strength to, to do too many letters every day, too much more artwork. But the cool thing was, when I saw his letter, my earth, my, my world was shocked. Like, holy freaking crap. Uh, bind, torture, kill himself, BTK. But when I opened it up, the cool thing about it was it, it was two letters in there. One was older and one was newer. He's like, man, I was like, I'm sorry, you got to forgive me. I wrote this a while ago to write you back. And for some reason, I got you know put into the pile. I forgot to send it. So I'm going to send this one plus what I'm writing to you now. Well, the first letter that he wrote, um, maybe from, I don't know, six months to a year before that, um, I don't remember how much longer it was, he signed it, Dennis Rader, a.k.a. BTK. I was like, oh, <laughs> with the symbol and everything. Um, but the, the the new letter that came with it saying, I'm sending to this, but you got to understand, I put that BTK moniker to bed. He's like, I'm not writing in that moniker anymore. It's just Dennis Rader. It's all done. It put it away. It put it to bed. And then he mentioned really about his health issues. If you've ever seen his letters, his handwriting is is it's, it wasn't that legible back in the day. And when he was healthy, it was even worse now. So it's very very hard to read. Um, it's funny. He always sends you a bill. Very hard. To, I don't even know what it was. I had to talk to somebody else who collected to find out. But he sends you a bill each time. The cost of the stamp, his time for writing, and all that. Um, but that was really I haven't heard from him in a long time, um, but it was itself. But anyway, when his letters came in the mail, everything stopped. Um, the other person, not so much anymore, because I do hear from him a lot, is the son of Sam David Berkowitz. Um, if you follow me on social media, you'll find out that David Berkowitz has agreed to come on this podcast. So hopefully, I just have to wait for my number to get approved uh, at his facility. And once that does, uh, we're going to do a podcast. I'm not maybe, I'll just try just to shoot for a half hour. I know, um, we live in a a time where attention spans aren't that long, so I don't want to make it too long. Uh, but maybe I'll do a little longer with 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 his podcast. We'll see uh, what the content is and and what we can get out of that. Uh, I did another project with him. He found out that I used to help out in a prison aftercare called the Saints Prison Ministry that he used to be a part of also a while, a while ago. Um, it's new ownership and new leadership now. So I got together with that organization, and, and David agreed to do kind of like a Q&A. Um, about you know volunteers in prisons and a whole bunch of cool stuff. So we have a pretty good connection now. I talked to David a lot, uh, so I look forward to having him on the podcast. Um, I said I probably probably two or three years. I guess I've been talking to him almost every month. I mean I do talk to David a lot, so that's going to be cool. So I don't quite get all jazzed up when he calls it. I mean, he sends a, a letter, um, but there's again there's some people who are it's like holy crap. Um, but that, it's for me it's actually become commonplace. I mean people look at me. And see how many letters I have and phone calls. Like, oh, how can you do that? It's, it's just an everyday thing for me now. Maybe because I'm, I'm half screwy myself. Um, but I, over 20 years, I've been in prison aftercare. So it just doesn't freak me out. I mean, aftercare, you sit next to extreme violent offenders. Um, some of them I can go into prison. Um, and some of them just got out or have, you know, halfway houses and other things. I, I'm, I've always been around violent offenders. I mean, you guess I have celebrity names, of course. Uh, but just to me, it's just commonplace. And the phone rings every night. Now, there's only, it's not like you see, oh, San Quentin is calling. Um, there's usually certain, only a couple telecom companies um, that host, I guess, if you will, certain prison facilities. So when the phone rings, I know it's coming from my prison. 
I just don't know who's going to be on the other end until I pick it up. And there's a couple that I know. Um, just because like Keith Jesperson, for example, and Yumasaki. Uh, Keith calls me like twice a week. Um, Yumasaki calls me a lot. So I kind of know their number. Um, but for the most part, I have no idea who's calling. Luckily, my man is in true crime a little bit, so they don't think I'm too much of a nutbag uh, for getting all these letters in the mail. Um, that's kind of how I got started. Um, it's in prison outreach and aftercare for over 20 years of my life. And then through autographs and everything else, kind of worked my way to you know more the true crime circle. Um, and man, what, you guys are such a great group of people. Um, I don't have many close friends at all uh, in the local area who are into true crime. So it's good to reach out uh, on social media and people reach out to me build great relationships with you guys and i think i'm gonna have another drink to you so cheers you glorious bastards Mm-mm-mm. there we go uh, so that's kind of how i got started again my goal is to promote mental health and awareness and rehabilitation um my big thing if you read my books is free will do serial killers and psychopaths have free will not to kill um i would lean towards no some of them do not have free will if they have a brain abnormality. That's the gist of my book. Well, Yumasaki is the gist of my book, but the underlying theme for the whole thing is um, if you have a brain abnormality, you might not have free will. You know, you heard me say probably on, on numerous times that if someone who has Tourette's, like really bad Tourette's, and actually I was friends with somebody who's one of the worst cases in history of Tourette's. He had documentaries made about him through a couple surgeries that lessened a little bit. Um, he was over my house a few times and more than one time, accidentally kicked my dog. And his, his involuntary motions of lashing out his hand or his foot or kicking and punching and very loud outbursts, he does not have free will to stop. You can make it a law saying you can't have outbursts anymore. You can't involuntary kick. He can't. He cannot stop. It's a brain abnormality that does not let him stop the outbursts. Can't do it. He does not have free will to stop it. The same works for brain abnormalities and violent offenders in some cases. You know, I use the example of, I think we, I called him Michael uh, in my book. And yes, you can go online on YouTube and he goes by different names, obviously not his real name, um, but a loving husband, married, stepdaughter, out of nowhere, started having pedophile urges towards his stepdaughter. Um about to go to prison. I mean, nothing, you know, I would say nothing horrible. It was all horrible, but you can go to counseling or to prison. So it wasn't you know, like a full-blown sex, but enough to where, you know, you're, you're in some big trouble here, buddy. Um, screwed up the counseling class. So going to prison, right before I went to prison, they found a tumor pressing up against the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is the key. I mean, the whole frontal lobe, cortex. Um, but when the amygdala is damaged, that's where you, your, your fear is. So if it's damaged, you might not experience fear. You might not experience empathy. You might not have the stop button, you know, that, that, or put the brakes button, you know, the, where somebody bumps your shoulder at the club and you want to turn around and smack them. Oh, let me, let me hold off on that. Someone cut you off on the traffic. Uh, instead of running him over, following him home and killing him and his family, you have this stop, you get that reason and rationality. Well, if your Miguel is damaged in a certain way, you don't have a stop button. You're just going to kill him. You know, you don't have free will to stop if you don't, your brain doesn't have the capability to do it. Um, kind of like saying with not just a pedophile, um, but if you don't have the urge to stop being a pedophile, now you might have free will not to touch a child, maybe, but you don't have free will to stop those urges. doesn't matter how wrong society says they are, and they're wrong, don't get, that urges are wrong, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of like saying, like me, I'm a straight man. 
I am not attracted to men. You know, if you are, hey, that's your thing. That's cool. I'm not. You could put me on a deserted island with Brad Pitt. Let's just let's just call Brad Pitt the best looking man in the world. You know, for the sake of the argument, you know, you could put me on a deserted island, and I'm going to be there the rest of my life, just me and Brad. I'm sure I'm going to be horned up as hell. <laughs> I don't care how horned up I get. I'm not remotely going to have a sexual urge for Mr. Brad Pitt. You know, if there was a mound of crack heroin and some other drugs, you know, I am not going to have the urge to do crack, to do coke, to heroin. I, I don't have that urge. I will. I can roll around today. I'm, I'm not going to have the urge to do it. It's not in me. But like a homosexual urge... If you tell me it's now illegal for a man to be sexually attracted to a woman, it's against the law to have sex with a woman, a man can only have sex with a man, it's not going to happen. My brain is not going to allow, no matter how much, it's like a food. I hate raw tomatoes, and I hate mayonnaise. If, if mayonnaise touches my tongue, run. I'm probably going to puke on you. Like I, it's, A raw tomato, I'll, spell out, I'll just spit out. If mayonnaise touches my tongue, we have a problem. I will never like, there's nothing in me to like mayonnaise. So when you have somebody in psychopathy, um, you know, like empathy. Oh, he's the horrible person. He doesn't feel empathy. No, his brain is abnormal. There's an abnormality in his brain that does not let him do it. Is he an evil person? No, he has an abnormality that makes him do evil things. There's a difference. That's kind of the gist of my book. Now, there is evil people. There are evil people out there. I mean, it'd be just like a thug on the streets and like to rob and steal just to make a living. You might be a jerk and just be an evil person, you know, doing something sadistic just for sadistic things. You might not have a brain abnormality. Um, but if you do have an abnormality, it might cause you to do evil things. Now, are you guilty? Oh, you're guilty. Even if you don't have the free will to stop. Like, for example, Ted Bundy and Richard Ramirez, they had such an abnormality. I mean, it's not provable per se um what specifically that abnormality was but when you're a sadistic killer like that uh bundy talked a little bit about it especially one of his last interviews when the only time you have any sexual feelings inside is through torture blood murder violent sex sadistic style violent sex like richard ramirez uh, like BTK, bind, torture, kill. When the only feeling you have inside, because also when you make a list damage and some other parts of the frontal lobe cortex is damaged, it takes extreme things to feel anything. That's what my interview with Dana Gray. I, again, I talk to Dana like almost every day. I talk to Dana Gray through email. Skydiving. That's the only time she felt anything was skydiving and even murder itself. So these extreme things, the only time you feel, if you said, I could never feel anything, you're walking around like a zombie, the only time I felt anything alive was murder, it was blood, bind, torture, kill. It's not like it's acceptable, but just kind of trying to get into the brain abnormality to, yes, they need to be punished. Yes, you know, they have to go to jail. Yes, if there's no treatment to completely cure the abnormality in the brain, now there's baby steps to... Um, not, you're not curing psychopathy, you're not curing a psychopathic mind, but um, there are baby steps heading in that direction, I mean, and I mean baby steps. But yeah, they shouldn't be let out of prison, don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to bring light and awareness to neurology. Uh, neuroscience is making breakthroughs in this. Um, so yes, there's evil people in the world, but there's brain abnormalities 
that make normal everyday people do violent things. So that's kind of the distinction I'm trying to trying to make my little uh, my campaign, if you will. Um, again, not just my book. There's many books. David Eagleman has some good books about neurology. Um, there's many many people out there. So I'm doing my little uh, my little part, if you will, to bring awareness to this. So that's kind of why I got started. Um, that's kind of how I got started. Now I get also a lot of emails. Is how do I write somebody? I want to get involved. Whether you just want to autograph, uh, whether you want to you know help encourage people because uh, some of these people are going to get out one day. Writing a serial killer is the same if you wrote somebody uh, in regular jail. Now there's jail. Jail you're only there for a couple years. Prison you're doing a, you're doing some time. You know you're doing some time. Uh, let me get another sip of my wine. Yeah, the cheers everybody again. Mm-mm-mm. A little sip of bourbon. We're going to do a double fisted, a little bourbon. Cheers. All right, you glorious bastards. So writing somebody in jail or prison is basically the same thing. There are rules. Um, let's start with the envelope. They have to have a DOC number, you know, their inmate number. Um, you know, For example, if you're writing uh, somebody's name, Keith Jesperson, then you put his ID number. Every single person has an ID number. When you go to jail or prison, it stays with them the rest of their life. You know, some might have like H two three four five six seven, might just a number system. Sometimes it's required to put their unit, like they have their DOC number one two three four five six H two three unit three four five bunk B. Whatever, everyone's a little bit different. But as long as they're, and they'll tell you when they write back to you if they do, you just write what they write on the return envelope. Um, so their name, their DOC number, the prison facility now. The prison facility, sometimes the main address is not the inmate mailing address. Sometimes it's a different state, believe it or not. Um, like Florida sometimes, some of their prison facilities, like I write Tiffany Cole all the time. Um, I was like, why does Tiffany not write me back? Well, they changed the mail system. You know, they got to mail to a different state and they forward it to her. It, it's stupid. Um, but sometimes you got to look on their website. Most prison websites will tell you, you have to do a little searching for it, what the address is, usually a P.O. box um, for the inmate mail. So double check you got the right address. Um, your name has to be on a return address. You know Joe Schmo and your your whole name. Inside your first letter, don't write any, don't send anything. Write regular paper, nothing funky, no yellow paper. Regular paper, eight and a half by eleven, whatever the hell it is, black or blue ink. Only write on one side of the paper. Some facilities, believe it or not, don't let you write on the other side. A lot of times that's because they photocopy everything. They're just too lazy to photocopy both sides, but. Only write on one side of the paper. Um, don't send anything, pictures, and anything else. Why some places don't allow you to send anything. Some places don't you allow to even send uh, stamps, no pictures, no nothing. Some do. They'll tell you what you can and what you can't send. So the first letter, just write a letter and ask them, hey, can I send you some stamps? Can I send you some pictures? You know, <coughs> excuse me. I said mouth is so dry. It's like two degrees here in Jersey, by the way, because my heat's on like all the time. I got a humidifier running, and I'm drinking red wine to really dry my mouth out. <laughs> oh, excuse me. So your first letter, don't send anything. Um, just write, hey, how you doing? Now, these people, especially serial killers, are very intelligent. They know you just want an autograph, some people. They know you just want a response back to sell the letter online. If they see you care about them, um, and want to get to know them, you'll probably get a response. Don't ask for nothing. Yeah, I got like 300 pieces of artwork or if not more. I've never asked for anything. Um, they'll send you out of the kindness of their heart. Unless it's a financial deal, you got to pay them or something. Hey, you want to buy some artwork? Um, they're very talented, very wise. They see through everything. 
pretty quickly, you know, for the most part. You'll come to realize that. Um, be mindful that you don't get taken advantage of. Because, you know, don't offer to send too many things because next thing you know, hey, can you send money for in commissary? Can you send stamps? Can you send a book? Can you send that? Now, I enjoy sending things out of the kindness of my heart, but there have been times where, hey, can you send a radio? Can you send this? Can you go to this prison website and send me the X, Y, and Z? So don't let them take advantage of you either. Uh, but let them tell you what you can send as far as pictures and photographs, some photocopies, some real pictures you can send. Um, and as I said, they'll describe it to you and let you know. If you want to talk to them on the phone, I encourage you. Now, since they know all the true crime artwork and memorabilia that's out there, JPay, Securus, and GTL, uh, they're all apps you can download. Some prison facilities allow tablets to where you can send emails back and forth. You have a way better chance of response on that because they know that you can't sell an email. Um, so, again, just something else you can, might want to consider. So once you download the app, same thing, you have to know their ID number and what facility they're at. Uh, you send them a letter uh, through an email, I should say, uh, and if they approve it, cool thing about JPEG, which a lot of facilities have, you can send pictures to them. You can send 30-second videos, and they can send 30-second videos back, uh, along with emails. It's virtual stamps, and cool thing about that is you can send them a virtual stamp, so they don't have to waste any money sending you a stamp back. Now you can give, you know, for 20 stamps, it might cost like five bucks or something, you know, so it's really nothing big. So that's kind of the gist of how to write anybody in prison, but how to write a serial killer. Uh, now, be mindful. Some of the popular names, like David Berkowitz, you know how many letters he gets on a week, on a weekly basis? Yeah, tons, countless of letters. He has a couple piles of people that he knows, people he might write back, and people you know he's not going to write back at all. Most of them read the letters, you know, for the most part. Um, Ed Kemper hasn't spoken to anybody at the facility, anybody at the facility since his last uh, health incident, let alone write. So don't write Ed Kemper. Don't write Gary Widgeway. All Gary Ridgway is going to do is forward a letter to his church he's a part of, and they'll send you a little something, uh, which is cool, you know, if that's what you want. Uh, but he's not going to write. Um, but write everybody. You know, whoever you're into. Uh, but just start with that. A regular envelope, your return address has to be on there. If you P.O. P.O. box, they might not write back. If you see your personal address, it means, oh, this is a real person, you know, better chance. Um, and inside, write one side of the letter. Normal paper. Don't write legal-sized paper. The colorful paper. Print you know, pictures on the paper. Just regular white paper, black or uh, blue pen. Uh, just be honest. They're going to see through your crap anyway. Uh, so just be honest with them uh, when you're writing them. Uh, and just be kind. You know, you got to think most of these people, again, why I do what I do? Most of these people, they don't know kindness. They don't know trust. They don't know love. So when someone like me shows them kindness, and like, I don't want anything from them. I don't want their autograph. Yes, I'm into artwork and things like that, but that's not why what I do. They're, most of them are all gifts you know, that they send me on birthdays, a holiday time, or whatever, just out of the kindness of their heart. Um, they want a friend. People say, oh, what, what do you guys talk about? Say, what you would talk about with your friend. You know, There's very few people to get into the crimes, and they don't want to talk about that stuff. They want to talk about what's, what's going on in the world. You know, They want a friend. Just be a friend. If you want to continue their conversation on, just be a friend. It's as simple as that. Um, if you want to encourage them, uh, find out what they're into, what books that they're into, if they're learning in school, if their schooling programs are going through, uh, what classes they're taking, if, if, the, uh, if their facility allows classes. Um, so again, just be very encouraging, get to know them, and most important, they want to know about you. you know, it's not like a Hannibal Lecter thing. You know? <laughs> Clarice, tell me about the lambs. Um, no, but they do want to know about you. Be a friend. You know, don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. If they don't write you back, they're not interested. If they do write you back, again, be mindful. They're not going to take advantage of you. Um, 
but it's just like you're talking to anybody else. You know, they literally probably you know just want a friend. Um, so there you have it. Uh, again, a little different podcast today: how to write a serial killer and how it got started. Hope that answers some of your questions. Uh, look forward to a couple of new things coming out. A bunch of stuff with Keith Jesperson's coming up. David Berkowitz is coming up. Hopefully, Wesley Shermantine's coming up. David Bardo, I mean, Robert Bardo's coming up. Uh, maybe Pamela Smart's coming up. So we got a lot of cool things in store for you. So again, thanks for tuning in to Letter Side of Serial Killers. Let your friends and family know about the podcast. Share it, share it, share it. Until next time, see ya. See ya.